Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, dealing with the itchy dog, perfecting dermatological diagnosis, and why we say, stop circling the drain. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And once again, we are revisiting that tough topic of itching dogs. And Cindy, I don't know about you, but itching dogs really drive me crazy. But first, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney, and unfortunately, our registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser, is still hoping to get home after Hurricane Florence, so send her her good thoughts. She's also still helping out other animals uh, that need help with the ASPCA, so, so be thinking of her, but we're sad that she's not joining us today. Be safe, Becky, and I know that Becky really wanted to make this particular podcast episode because this is a topic that we all struggle with from time to time. And this week, we are so fortunate to have, once again, a friend of ours from Zoetis, Dr. Candice Sousa. Now, if you're like me, there's a very good chance you have seen this board-certified veterinary dermatologist lecture. You certainly have read her research and publications. I mean, she is amazing. A little bit of history in case you aren't familiar with Dr. Sousa. She graduated with her veterinary degree and even her undergraduate degree from that college on the left coast. University of California at Davis, which is a fantastic school. Uh, she then was board certified in feline and canine medicine, dermatology. I mean, she was in private practice and then she went to work in research and in, in industry with Zoetis for a long time. So welcome to the show, Dr. Candace Sousa. It's so great to be here and it's early on the West Coast and midday for you guys. And I'm delighted to be part of this podcast. Well, Candace, I just want to start by saying the impact that you've actually had on me as a practitioner. I've seen you lecture many times in my career. Every time you're one of those speakers that takes some very complex and, and confusing information and distills it into something that even a guy like me can understand. So I just want to thank you at the outset for really all of your contributions to our profession. Well, aren't you cute? Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we kind of jump into the whole dermatology issue today, maybe just explain to us, like, why did you decide to become a veterinary dermatologist, especially at the time you did, because you were one of the early pioneers in that space. But what drew you to skin diseases? That is a fun question. When I think back to the 1970s, some of you probably weren't even born then, um, there was a a lot going on in veterinary medicine, but we were just on the verge of discovering immunology and immunologic diseases. And skin disease was one of the first areas where we were able to figure out the immunology. And I'm a very didactic person. I like cause and effect. And so I could see skin, I could touch it, I could smell it, and I could understand a little bit about immunology. So that's what drew me to doing more of that. I was also in practice and realized, as you all know, that skin disease was probably the most common reason I was seeing pets other than for well pet care. So I figured I had to know a lot about it. I then learned that it's not difficult. Dr. Ward, you <laughs> undercut yourself because it is a pretty simple specialty. But the problem is, since it's not a fix-it specialty, we find it frustrating and confusing. We love to fix a fracture, treat neoplasia, treat diabetes, 
because you have things you can do. And with skin, many times we do what I call circle the drain. We try to do right. fire engine medicine and fix things without knowing what they are. So that's where I tend to focus to veterinarians. And that's where technicians become a critically important part of the veterinary team. We need a diagnosis because with yeah. a diagnosis, the therapies and the prognosis become very simple. Just because our wonderful uh, technician, Becky, isn't here, can you uh, elaborate a little bit more on how essential uh, technicians become in that process? Yes. Um, I, every time I go into a clinic and teach a veterinarian about their cases, I talk about the importance of the technicians. We only have nine diagnostic tests in dermatology when you think oh. about it. Only nine. And eight of them, our technicians can do if we let them. But instead, when we want to show our clients that we sort of know how to do something, we kind of take charge of those diagnostics. And then we find that we have to get a tech to hold the animal. We don't have the right equipment in the exam room. We're running behind because we only have 15 minutes. And right. we end up skipping things. And, well, let's just give this therapy and, and see you back in a couple of weeks. Well, you know, Dr. Sousa, I mean, you mentioned here that this is frustrating for veterinarians and yes. that we really have limited diagnostics, but what are some of the key like components and elements and topics that our staff, our, our veterinarians, our veterinary technicians need to be talking to pet owners about, you know, because the, the goal here is to get a diagnosis, as you said, and then we've got to embark on a long-term treatment journey. So what are some of those key points that we need to, to be aware of and make sure that we communicate with each pet owner who comes in with an itchy dog? So the first thing is that if we know why the dog is itching, there are a few things we can cure. Scabies, I love scabies. It's the one thing I can really cure and I can actually prevent. And you wouldn't be surprised the number of times a referral dermatologist diagnoses it. And then the client says, well, why didn't my vet diagnose this? So we don't want you to miss that. Why are we missing it? I think of things very simply. It's a stepwise manner. The first thing they're coming to you for is that their animal is suffering in their opinion or they're suffering from the itch. Right. They're waking up at night. The spouse says to the other one, fix your dog, it's suffering. We then want to fix that, right? We can have medications now that can control the itch while we get a diagnosis. And that's where Apoquel comes in. It's a great addition to your pharmacy to allow you to give these animals and their owners relief. You then say, hey, I need to figure out why. Well, well, Candace, uh, you know, this has come up a couple of times. We had uh, one of your colleagues, Dr. Liska, uh, not too long ago, and she also said the same thing. She said, look, you know, a lot of times as a veterinary dermatologist, we are diagnosing scabies. And so I just, I just want to kind of dig into why do you think that veterinarians, general practitioners specifically, are missing so much scabies? Well, first of all, they're in denial. You know, this is a little Bichon Frise. How could it have scabies, right? It, right. Lives, it lives in my purse. Right. And they, they are also finding it difficult to confirm a diagnosis with a skin scraping. My hints about scabies are twofold. First of all, it, usually the owners have a start date. They say, oh, he started itching around 4th of July. 
or you start itching after you got back from vacation. There's a start date versus other allergies where it's kind of saying, it's been off and on for a couple of months. Oh, I like that. The second thing we look at is when they're scratching at the ears and we think, oh, ear disease. You just don't want to miss the parasites. That's the first thing and the one you can cure. And I love that. You know, we used to do the old uh, ear scratch test. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. That's <laughs> so, the pinnopedal. Uh-huh. That's Absolutely. right. Yeah, that's the fancy name. But, uh, you know, so if you're not familiar <laughs> with that, you definitely want to make sure you are rubbing the ears of itchy yes. dogs. But, yes. uh, okay, so so getting back to that, so rule out parasites, scabies, yes. of course, top of our list, Demodex, you know, secondary, yep. secondary infections. But so then what's the next thing that we need to be communicating to those pet parents who are frustrated Well, you don't want to forget about fleas in that parasite thing too. And you know that it tends to be the back half of the animal. And people are in flea denial all the time. Flea denial. I love that. I get that. My dog couldn't have, they picked it up in your exam room, right? Right. In the waiting room. But making sure that people are using parasite prevention, and that's one of the guidelines for the College of Dermatology in managing dogs with atopic dermatitis, that they're on year-round flea preventative because that's a flare factor. Once these dogs though have, you could say it's not a parasite, it's not chylotiella, it's not lice. I've, now I say, okay, could it be something that's infectious? Right. And that's where cytology is important and your technicians can do it. I'm shocked how many veterinarians do not allow their technicians to do ear cytology. And yet they allow them to put IV catheters in, take radiographs, calculate fluid loads, induce anesthesia. That's a great point. Using your technicians for skin and ear cytology to rule out infections, that's the next thing you want to do. And what are some of those challenges that you find both veterinarians and technicians may have doing cytology effectively? Because I adore skin. I love seeing skin cases. I'm doing cytologies all the time, but there are definitely some road bumps that from the time I graduated to now that I've had to overcome both myself and with the team that I work with. And, and I love that you said, I love cytology. I want you next time to say, Cindy, I love for my yep. technicians to do my cytology. <laughs> um, so there's two things. First of all, sample collection. It's easy with the ears, right? A cotton tip swab, grab some material, roll it on a slide and stain it. And you don't have to actually heat fix these. Heat does not make it stick to the slide. Heat kills the organisms. So you have alcohol for fixative. But in most cases, if you do a side-by-side comparison and just put your cytology slide in your purple stain, that's all you need. For skin, it's a little more challenging. You can either rub a slide on the skin. You can use a cotton tip swab to collect material. You can use tape to collect material. I like to make a sticky slide with double-sided tape. So your goal would be to say, okay, my technicians need to be doing my cytologies. Let's the first case now, we're going to see one, do one, teach one. So I'm going to show them what I do. The next case, I'm going to watch them do it. And the third case, they're going to be teaching somebody else. Now I'm going to push and challenge you a little bit here. So I guess my question and concern is, how confident do you think the average general practitioner is about the accuracy of their results with cytology? And then how confident do you think they feel teaching their technicians? And how confident do they you think they feel about the, the learning that the technicians have gotten in school? Because I, I don't know about you, Dr. Ward, or, or others who yeah. are listening, but at least for me coming out of school, finding yeast on cytology reliably, even with a tape prep, was pretty challenging. Even when we had a patient that I would then refer to a dermatologist and they would stick them right on an antifungal. So 
I guess that's one of my questions for you is how do we feel confident in our own skills and then feel confident training our team or feeling confident in the training that they've received? It's all again in the sample collection. And there will be times when an owner has bathed the dog right before coming in and you're not finding many yeast. So with yeast, my tentative diagnosis is based on the distribution. It likes to grow more so in areas of skin to skin contact. Where would that be? That would be inside the ear canal, in the axillary area, between the toes. So when I'm seeing that distribution, and I'm also seeing what we've all this called saliva staining, which is, can be a matter from the yeast causing the enzyme changes. I say, gosh, I think there's yeast. Let's see what I find on cytology. So for the first couple of weeks, you may be double checking your technicians. They say, this is what I found. And you say, I agree. And then you start trusting. Same thing with fecals. If you're still doing fecals in house, you don't just throw them with it. You actually then say, yes, I agree. I haven't done a fecal exam probably in 20 years, and I don't even know how to do a snap test. I trust them to read it. So it's a matter of feeling comfortable that your technicians are doing it. And there's only four things they're going to look for. They're going to look for skin cells, and they should be cornified. If they have a nucleus, they're immature. Number two, they look for white cells. Do I see neutrophils? Do I see lymphocytes? Number three, they look for any bacteria. That's why I have to use oil immersion to have them see those. And number four, yeast. And that's all. Okay, so so I, I like where we're headed with this. But when we had Dr. Liska on last, you know, she really went into some pretty good detail on that whole comprehensive diagnostic approach. Yes. Maybe for people that haven't had a chance yet to listen to that podcast, just give us that, you know, top line refresher. So what's, what is that simplest, you know, way when you look at check down, this is what I do when I have an itchy dog in my presence. Great. So the, the first thing you want to do is get their diagnosis as we've talked about. So you do your history and physical, when did it start? Where on the dog do I see lesions? And this leads you to a tentative diagnosis. Of the nine tests, the top three that we do most every case, just to make sure you don't miss it, would be a skin scraping, a cytology, and maybe a Woods lamp examination. That at least gives you some time to think. Right. If you've done those things and you don't have a diagnosis and maybe it's a recheck, the next tier might be fungal culture if you think there's a dermatophyte, bacterial culture, if you think there's a resistant bacteria, and maybe a biopsy. And I know too many veterinarians who delay their biopsies. If it's no better, we'll do a biopsy. Let's consider a biopsy. Discussed biopsy with owner. You can do a skin biopsy with a local while they wait. And, you know, Dr. Sousa, we had uh, also Dr. Andrew Hillier, uh, mm -hmm. as well as Dr. Dana Liska, both dermatologists, and they they both really walked away, at least I walked away, with a strong impression. They said, you got to stop the itch first. You've yes. got to stop the Absolutely. suffering. And, and that's really the game changer, in my opinion, with some of the products that you your company in particular has developed and, and brought out the past couple of years. So maybe speak to that. You know, we've got the diagnost diagnostics sort of working, but but that client is there for, as you said earlier, for a fix. And and it's changed now. I mean, we used to give other medications. So maybe right. explain to us how we can stop the itching, the suffering immediately. Well, that's where Apoquil has, has been the game changer, as you mentioned. In the past, we would use steroids because we knew they worked. And I am a fan of steroids. Your body makes them. You can't live without them. I've published on them. But now I don't need to use such a broad-based therapy 
just to control itch where every other cell of the body is affected. We've then said, well, let's try antihistamines because I know they don't have these other adverse events and effects, but there is no research to support the efficacy of antihistamines and treatment of itch. You're wasting your client's time. Now, you're gonna get a few clients who say, oh, it helped. That's the placebo effect. That's the 20% placebo. That's why there's no antihistamines approved for right. use for itch. So Apoquil fits in most every case, first line. There's no contraindications. Yes, the dog should be 12 months of age for, per the label, but you do your basics. And then while the dog's comfortable, you can then do the rest of your diagnostics and get the recheck and get the client on board. And so just to sum up a little bit of what you were saying with the diagnostics, so of course that keystone is is getting your history that's gonna help inform those results that you get in terms of your cytology skin scrape as well, as well as help you kind of be a little primed to know what to look for. Um, what do you do with some confounding results? So say you do suspect yeast in those particular areas, you get your cytology, you're not seeing the yeast that you expected or you do suspect scabies and you're not getting the results that you suspected, when do you or do you not move on to treatment trials? How do you kind of deal with those discordant results? Well, absolutely. We look at response to therapy, but in the meantime, we're providing that pet owner and pet with the relief. So let's say I'm worried about scabies. I don't see anything. The distribution's not quite right. I'll still give the client some Perica or Revolution to treat the dog with Apoquel and then a recheck. That's where the second part comes in these rechecks. And oftentimes I'll ask veterinarians, they say, oh, we schedule our rechecks at the discharge, but many clients don't come back because the dog is better. And they're usually better because of the Apoquel. So you wanna see a recheck to confirm a diagnosis and then talk about management and prognosis. If you've treated for yeast and the dogs know better, it wasn't, there wasn't any yeast there. Let's move on. And once you've ruled out parasites, and infections, then a diet trial is indicated and Apoquil's perfect medication to use during a diet trial too, to give the dog relief while the owner is testing to see if some of their feeding is causing this cutaneous adverse reaction. Yeah, and I'll tell you, one of the things for me, Dr. Sousa, the reason I became such a huge Apoquil fanboy, if you will, is because, <laughs> and I think too often this gets lost in the conversation. So. You can stop the itch, you can alleviate the suffering immediately, and then continue your diagnostic workup, even a food trial. Absolutely. Because see, the thing about Apoquil that's distinctly different than corticosteroids is there's no washout. Like within 24 right. hours, you know if whatever you are doing is helping or not. So in the example of a food trial, you can continue to abate and alleviate any itching and suffering of the dog. And then when it's time to see, well, is the food trial working? You can stop the apical. And then in a day or two, you know if the food trial is working or not. I mean, Dr. Sousa, help me reinforce that message to veterinarians about the flexibility of the start and stop aspect of apical. That to me is the real game changer here. Well, there's so many benefits to it, but you're right. It doesn't inhibit anything. It blocks an enzyme. It's sort of, I think of it like the arm on the railroad crossing that comes down and stops the traffic for a period of time. And then the arm goes up and the traffic continues to flow. That's what Apoquel is doing. It's just stopping that itch signal for about 18 to 20 hours. And that's why when sometimes you give it at once a day, Owners say, I see a little more itching. Well, because it's not inhibiting the production of anything or uh, 
the, this, the thing that's just blocking that signal for a short time. And that is, again, one of the benefits of Apoquel that you can start and stop, uh, use it as needed. So there have been some kind of rumors or concerns that um, have been going around about a rebound itch effect when patients come off of Apoquel. Um, can you speak to that, whether or not the evidence supports that and how that may or may not interfere with diagnostics like a food trial? Um, so if we're have a pet on Apoquel through a diet trial, and then we wean them off of it to see if the, the food has been effective and the pet has some rebound itch. Is that something we would or wouldn't expect? And how might that affect our, our diet trial? Well, the, the term rebound should actually mean, let's just say the itch on a, on a vast scale of zero to 10. Let's say it was six in the beginning. With Apoquel, it's one and a half. Rebound should be, gosh, when I stop it, now it's a nine. What we sometimes just see though is that it itch does come back and it shouldn't be worse unless during the diet trial something else has happened. People stopped their flea control. They stopped Semperica. They were worried about orals in during the flea trial or the dog got scabies. But there's none, there's no evidence that the itch will be worse when you stop Apoquel. The other thing is people forget. They, you get two people in a household. One person might say the itch is a five. The other says it's a nine. So there's no evidence that you, it worsens when you stop Apoquil. Right. And, and the other advantage, I think, of Apoquil is its safety and use with other medications. Absolutely. Well, there are no contraindications again. So if a dog's being treated with an NSAID for arthritis or is a diabetic or anything else, you can use Apoquil concurrently. The label said has not been evaluated in conjunction with cyclosporin and steroids. Because during all the clinical trials, you had to stop those medications to make sure Apoquel was working, right? right? So, but there is enough evidence now in the continuation therapy study where dogs were given these medications simultaneously. Uh, Novartis did a study using Apoquel for the first three weeks while they started cyclosporin in a small number of client-owned dogs. There are no adverse events that we think will happen but you shouldn't need to use those other medications. So that's, again, the beauty of it. It can be, owners can have 30 pills at home to use on the flare-ups and the bad days once or twice a day and then start and stop as you mentioned. Well, I can't let you go today without talking about my other favorite <laughs> friend, which is Cytopoint. Yeah. And I wanna talk about some other things real quick, but, but just maybe again, for people that haven't had a chance to listen to the Dr. Liska podcast, which we did detail Cytopoint quite thoroughly, I think, but just give again that refresher on why is Cytopoint such a pretty cool, innovative drug? Well, it's very cool and innovative because every day on TV, I hear a new commercial for a human monoclonal antibody to treat something. And biologic therapy and monoclonal antibodies are the way of the future. Scientists are getting so good at finding targets and making antibodies are very specific. So where Apoquel inhibits the activity of about six enzymes, six cytokines, Cytopoint targets just a single cytokine. It's like a Roomba. <laughs> it circulates through your body and sucks up a cytokine. And the label for Cytopoint just changed, where it's not only now labeled for the treatment of dogs with atopic dermatitis, but now dogs with any allergic dermatitis. That could be flea allergy. Um, the problem with using Cytopoint during a diet trial, though, is, is its variable action. It can last anywhere from four to eight weeks, and in right. reality, three to 12 weeks. But it takes compliance out of the owner's hands. You've given an injection. That dog is great to go. So once they've 
you've done a diet trial and you've confirmed that they have atopic dermatitis, this is a new therapy that can be used and can be used in conjunction with immunotherapy if you need to. Cytopoint is not depot Apoquel, so they're very different. So Apoquel, in my mind, is your, is your foundational medication while you're doing your diagnostics. Once you've determined that a dog needs chronic Apoquel, you have the option of using an injection or a pill, and people are going to choose one or the other. Right. There's fair some cases where Apoquel will work better than Cytopoint because it does target five cytokines, where Cytopoint might work better maybe from compliance. You wouldn't think compliance would be a problem with Apoquel, but people forget because their dog is doing well. They don't give him a pill, then he wakes them up at night. So it's kind of your once you've confirmed atopic dermatitis, or maybe once you've even confirmed food allergy and the owner cannot control this dog's getting the cat food, Cytopoint could be a medication now that you could use. You know they're food allergic, but Cytopoint provides the relief you need because you can't control what they're eating. And Cindy, you know, as an associate veterinarian, what do you think about the the ability to administer medications that last a long time without you having to re-administer them. I mean, is that a benefit to you? Um, absolutely. I mean, again, I think in the previous podcast um, with Dr. Aliska, we were talking about a client of mine in particular who um, was runs his own business. And it's very, very challenging to give medications on a regular basis when you don't know on a, a regular basis what your own schedule is going to be. And right. so, and having a young baby at home, I've right. become very, very <laughs> humble about what is realistic to ask our owners to do. And it surprises me, you know, we go in and sometimes we tell owners, you know, Hey, this is a bit expensive or this is a bit pricey, but owners see a lot of value in not having to, to, give their met, their pets a pill every day. So I think it's it's definitely a value, especially if we can make just the whole process of diagnosing these pets easier. Um, we also talked about before, I love your expression, circling the dermatology drain, or uh, I talk about derm burnout. Yeah. <laughs> so this idea that people can get exhausted. And so the fewer things, the, the less homework we have to give them, the more likely they are to get to that that diagnosis, I think. Um, maybe that's your experience too, Dr. Souza. So if we have an injection, are they more likely to get to that end of that diet trial where you know then we have a better answer as to what's going on with that pet? Well, you're absolutely right. When we send home seven different things, here's your antibiotic orally twice a day. Here's your ketoconazole once a day. Here's your flea product once a month. Here's your Apoquil twice a day, then once a day. Here's your shampoo. Here's your ear cleaner. Here's your ear medication. Here's a bag of food. Here's your fatty acid. And then we get frustrated when the client isn't perfect. So the more we can take off of their plate, giving a convenient injection, giving a pill in the exam room for the Seperica, they're done using Apoquel. All these things provide more client satisfaction, a better outcome for the animal. And that bond that you have with the client, that you're providing the relief that the animal needs and getting to the answer. Well, in closing here, maybe just touch on briefly the two other products that I think really apply to this discussion, that's Semperica and Convenia. Maybe just give us that quick elevator pitch for those two medications. Well, the elevator pitch for Convenia is easy. Um, this is a, a cephalosporin like cephalexin that you don't have to do anything. It's an assured <laughs> course of therapy. And if there's no improvement, then I have a great reason to do a, 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 a culture to look for a resistant staphylococci. Semperica and all the isoxazlines have really changed the way veterinarians are 
practicing. And now that I'm retired, I'm jealous that the rest of you have these products to use, but it's an oral once a month medication that provides flea control, great flea control for 35 days. Plus with many studies controls any other parasite like ear mites, scabies, demodex, and it's great for ticks. I have a personal experience and I won't even tell you, but it was more than a month and the ticks were falling off dead. I was so thrilled because I don't have ticks in California until I went hiking. So it is a great product. So Zoetis has really helped veterinarians change the way they can diagnose and manage skin disease. And I think there are definitely going to be some listeners out there, you know, who have questions about, especially in the early course of superficial pyoderma using, you know, um, and higher class cephalosporin. I think there are some, some good questions there, but also some clear benefits to using a product that's going to have a great compliance profile. Can you address some of those questions for our audience? Well, someday we should do a whole podcast on treating bacterial infections, methicillin resistant, the different classes of cephalosporin. I mean, I'd love to talk about that too. But just because it's classified as a third generation, that's based on history, it doesn't adequately reflect what it does. Third generation cephalosporins in human medicine are active more against gram negatives, which which convenient is not. And there's absolutely no information to support that it actually pr promotes the development or selection for resistant organisms. So there's no reason not to. Uh, there have been two review papers, including ISCADE, that support the use of Convenia and Simplicef as a good first line or first or second line choice. So there's nothing in the literature that says you can't use it as your first line to rule out staphylococcal infections, particularly since clients are not good at bathing. If they bathed, we could probably get away with a lot less antibiotics. So we've got to find out better ways to get clients to do topical therapy, and even as veterinarians, offering bathing in our clinic, medical bathing. Wow, well, I will tell you, Dr. Sousa, you have delivered once again. I am walking away with my head buzzing with good ideas. <laughs> I really enjoy these conversations. And again, thank you so much for taking time with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me. This has been my pleasure. If I can help veterinarians help more animals, I'm fulfilling kind of my goal of becoming a veterinarian. Well, you've heard what we have to say about difficult dermatological cases. Now we want to hear from you. Go ahead and share your insights and hopefully share some pictures and some stories of you letting your veterinary technicians do the testing that they should be able to do. <laughs> you can share those with us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. Please also let us know what you think. You can reach out to us on iTunes and leave a review so we can keep giving you information that you need. Um, and because Becky's not here, she would love to tell you to don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. We miss you, Becky, and I do have to point out that this podcast is sponsored by Zoetis, the makers of treatments including Apoquil, Cytopoint, Convenia, and Semperica. Zoetis is dedicated to changing the way we approach canine puritis to protect the bonds that matter most. Visit scienceofstrongerbonds.com for more. And I do have to read some important safety information on Semperica and other drugs. Semperica is for use only in dogs six months of age and older. Semperica may cause abnormal neurologic signs such as tremors, unsteadiness, and or seizures. Semperica has not been evaluated in dogs that are pregnant, breeding, or lactating. Semperica has been safely used in dogs treated with commonly prescribed vaccines, parasiticides, and other medications. Most frequently reported adverse events were vomiting and diarrhea. See full prescribing information at www.semperica.com. 
Do not use Apoquil in dogs less than 12 months of age or those with serious infections. Apoquil may increase the chances of developing serious infections and may cause existing parasitic skin infestations or pre-existing cancers to get worse. Apoquil has not been tested in dogs receiving some medications, including some commonly used to treat skin conditions, such as corticosteroids and cyclosporin. Do not use in breeding, pregnant, or lactating dogs. Most common side effects are vomiting and diarrhea. Apoquil has been safely used with many common medications, including parasiticides, antibiotics, and vaccines. For more information, please see the full prescribing information at www.apoquildogs.com. And convenia. People with known hypersensitivity to penicillin or cephalosporins should avoid exposure to convenia. Do not use in dogs or cats with a history of allergic reactions to penicillins or cephalosporins. Side effects for both dogs and cats include vomiting, diarrhea, decreased appetite and anorexia, and lethargy. See full prescribing information here at www.conveniafacts.com. Dr. Sousa would like to disclose that she has a financial interest, arrangement, or affiliation with Zoetis. And with that, we're not going to circle the dermatological drain <laughs> anymore. No, sir. On behalf of all of us, until next time, bye. Bye. Oh, bye. Ha, ha, ha.